This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast edition of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book One, Exiles. Chapter 21. G sat back in the seat with relief. She reached for her seatbelt, surprised to find that there wasn't one. Where's the... She stared at Edgar. You're driving. He glanced over to her in mock alarm. Oh my God, you're right. He was sitting on a stack of books, she noticed, and he had blocks of wood tied to his feet so he could reach the gas pedal. How old are you? Older than you, he answered. She squirmed uncomfortably in her seat. She was sitting on something. She pulled out a handful of books. Just toss those in back, Edgar said. She turned and saw that the back seat of the car was filled with books. She recognized a few of them, things she'd seen in the library at school. They were children's books, stacked on the seat, the floor, tumbled in piles. Why do you have all these books? Edgar looked over at her. What books? In the back. There are books in back there? He grinned at her. I just like stories. G didn't reply. She was a little embarrassed about not being able to read yet. There'd been meetings about it at school, and visits to the doctor to check her eyes, and to check what her parents called her development, but what she really knew meant her brain. Nothing came of it all, the tests. The other kids made fun of her, so there were fights on the playground, and one memorable one actually in the classroom even, which led to more meetings between her parents and the principal. Edgar leaned forward and turned the radio down. So, where to? I don't know, she confessed. I'm trying to find my brother. Where you go? If I knew that, she gave him a look. Point taken. Where was he last time you saw him? We were washing dishes back at the restaurant. Tap out, eh? Edgar snorted. I told you you needed my help. Then, almost hurt, he added, but you wouldn't let me help. Anyways, she wasn't going to apologize just because he acted like a complete jerk store. He went out to talk to Sarah, and he never came back, and then Jerry had to go, and this big, dark shape came in. Harry's working a night. Edgar slammed on the brakes and spun the car around, heading back the way they had come. G held onto the door handle, trying not to fall over into his lap. What are you doing? Going back for him. You think he's still back there? I expect he is, he looked at her. But he's not with Sarah. I'm pretty sure of that. How do you know? I don't think she likes him that young, he winked. Not that I ain't give my best to persuade her otherwise. She hoped that, in the darkened car, he couldn't see her roll her eyes. Right now, he was the only one who could help. So, where are we going? Edgar grinned at her and the orange glow of the dashboard, his ruined face and missing teeth made him look even more like a rotting jack-o'-lantern than ever. We're going to go back and ask the darkness what he knows. 
I think it's gone, Assam said. The wall of shadow that had overtaken them was receding into the night. It occurred to him that it was headed towards the diner, where his sister was still waiting. He didn't know how long he'd been gone, but he knew it was long enough for her to worry and to start looking for him. He stood up and brushed the pale sand from his jeans. I'm sorry, he told the fox. It's gone now. You're safe. The fox stayed where she was, crouched low to the ground. She raised her eyes to look at him. But why do you say you are sorry? I need to go back, he said. I appreciate your help, but you'll... He checked himself. My sister, she'll be worried about me. She wasn't yet, actually. He could feel her back there behind him, a little jangle of a happy tune playing in the back of his mind. But she would be, soon enough. But we are not at the palace. You said you needed to be there. The fox pouted up at him. How will you find it without me? I don't know. He looked back at the diner, barely visible beyond the darkness. But listen, thanks for everything. I appreciate your help, and uh, it was nice meeting you. The fox stood up, facing him. No. Then she said his name. He stared at her. In the back of his head, an alarm was going off. What did you call me? The fox patted gently around him, her eyes locked on his. She circled him once, clockwise, and then reversed, going counterclockwise. She stopped in front of him once more. Follow me. What? No, look, I told you, I have to go back. The fox turned and started walking away. Listen, thanks and all, but inexplicably, Assam began to follow after her. His feet were moving by themselves. He couldn't get them to stop. He wanted to turn away, to turn back, but he couldn't. It was as if there was some kind of magnetic field between him and the fox, dragging him along behind her. He was afraid. She knew his name. Please, let me go, he begged. No, I do not think so. But you said you would help me. He was almost crying now. Yes, but I was lying. Then, almost as an afterthought, she added, And you were very foolish. The fox kept walking. Assam followed. He had no choice. She could walk around the world, and he, feet ragged and bleeding, would have to follow. Behind him, he could feel his sister like a candle in the darkness, fading and then flickering out. Don't worry about Harry, Edgar told G just before he opened the door to the dish room. He's all right once you get used to him. She nodded. She remembered the way that it, he, had looked, that inky darkness drifting up the hallway. She shuddered. Let me do the talking, Edgar said with his hand on the door handle. And don't pay too much attention to what he says. Why? She failed to hide the fear in her voice. He's just a little... Simple. He gestured 
making a circle around his ear with his index finger. You know, he's been down here too long and he's got a bit spread out over time. His thoughts have just got a little bit... He paused. A little bit what? A little bit thin, I guess. You know? She nodded, even though she didn't. He opened the door. Don't worry, I'll be here to protect you. Despite her fear, she still managed to roll her eyes. Edgar was shaping up to be the eye-rollingest person she'd ever met. They went in. Assam tried everything he could think of to break the hold the fox had over him. It wasn't like she cast a spell or anything. She just knew his name, that was all. And she'd walked around in circles for a bit. That didn't seem very powerful to him, not like real magic. It was such a simple thing, he thought. Just his name. There had to be a simple way out of it. Names have power, he told himself. He remembered that in stories, the simplest spells were also the strongest. The fox padded silently in front, more or less ignoring him. He had tried at first to reason with her, to find some small spark of sympathy or mercy in her, but there was none. The flirting, girlish demeanor was gone. Now he was dealing with a more mature, disturbingly matter-of-fact animal that had no regard for him than she might show an insect, or that she might show her prey. Finally, he asked the question that he'd been avoiding, and that he already knew the answer to. What do you want with me? Why are you doing this? He tried to keep the pleading out of his voice and failed. I'm just a little boy. I have children of my own, the fox answered without turning, and they are hungry. She trotted along. Despite his desperate horror, Assam had no choice but to keep up. Once, when she was younger, she and her family spent a month one summer at a rented cottage by the sea. On the first day, standing up to her waist in the foam, a large wave had swept in and knocked her down. She tumbled below the water, feeling the sudden slow grip of the tide on her. She knew that the sea could do anything with her, and that there would be nothing she could do about it. Then her mother was there, hauling her up out of the water, laughing. It had only been a few seconds, and she had never really been in danger. But, for the rest of the vacation, while everyone else in her family swam and splashed and played, G sat watching on the sand. They coaxed her as best they could, but she refused, the bitter taste of old salt still in her mouth. At night, when she lay in bed, she could hear the waves crashing on the shore, and, in her dreams, she tumbled in the cold hands of the sea. Stepping into the darkness was very much like that. Edgar disappeared almost at once, enveloped by shifting bands of shadow as he passed through the door. Around her, she heard the rattle and clink of dishes being washed. She could feel the darkness moving over her, passing over her face in gentle waves, swallowing her up. She thought of those pale, strange shadows that coiled around her by the side of the road. Immediately, she wished she hadn't. 
She tried very hard not to scream. Edgar was speaking near her in the darkness, a polite, almost respectful tone, completely opposite to the obnoxiously arrogant one he'd demonstrated so far. Of course, he wasn't speaking to her. After a moment came the response, a breathy sigh that rose and fell from the darkness around him. That was a long time ago, she heard Edgar say. Around her, the darkness answered, soft and low like the sleepy murmur of someone just waking up. I haven't seen her in ages, Edgar said. Listen, I was hoping that... The darkness sighed again, longer this time. For a moment, it parted, and G saw a glimpse of Edgar looking very small. He glanced over at her and nodded as a wave of shadows swept back in, closing the gap. Obviously, the customary sneer was beginning to creep back into Edgar's voice once more. The darkness rumbled, far off thunder. Not at all, not in the slightest. She heard him make a conscious effort to adjust his tone. As a matter of fact, I came here to ask a favor. The darkness hissed. The sound set G's teeth on edge. Of course not, Edgar answered. It's for her, for my friend. Suddenly he was at her side, whispering, desperate. Say hello. Um, hi. A gentle breath, a sigh from the darkness. He wants to know what you're called, Edgar whispered. You can call me G, she said. It's short for Darjeeling. The darkness fluttered around for a moment, brushing lightly over face and arms. There was another sigh, low and gentle. Well, you know what they say, Edgar answered. What? she asked him. What'd he say? Don't worry about it. He nudged her. Now, ask him nicely. She felt the darkness turn its attention toward her, intent and waiting. She choked back the taste of seawater and said, Please, I'm looking for my brother and I can't find him. Edgar spoke up. I think he might have been outside, out back a while ago. Maybe you saw him. The darkness heaved around them, silent and deep. After a long moment, there came a murmur, a whisper. He says he might know something, Edgar translated. What's your brother like? Um, he has brown hair, kind of like mine, but a little darker, and green eyes, like mine, only lighter, and he's about this much taller than me. She held up her hand over her head. Edgar grabbed it, squeezing painfully. Now, you idiot, he hissed at her. Not what he looks like. What's he like? She pulled her hand away, rubbing her sore fingers. What? He can't see. He doesn't care what your brother looks like, Edgar growled. You have to tell him what he's like. She considered this for a moment. Well, he's... Four years older than me, 
And he's kind of bossy sometimes and a sort of know-it-all, but he's usually pretty nice for a big brother. Nicer than most, anyways. This last bit was directed at Edgar. She rubbed her sore knuckles and thought about Assam and what made him special. He knows how to snap his fingers on both his hands, and he can whistle, two things she envied most in the world. Um, he reads a lot of books, and he's really good at finding things that are lost, and he likes animals. It was hard, she thought, describing someone without describing them. Fortunately, Edgar butted in. Okay, okay, he said. I think he's got the picture. A long silence passed. Finally, the darkness shifted around them and she heard a faint hiss. It was a greedy sound. What'd he say? I know something, Edgar said quietly. But... But what? He wants to know what you have to offer in return. I don't know. What does he want? It's better not to ask, Edgar told her in a low voice. Just offer him something. Like what? She had no idea what a blind, disembodied shadow would want, but she was pretty sure she didn't have it. Edgar sighed. It was a sound Jean knew well, although she usually heard her brother make it. Like what? she asked again. The darkness shifted around her and Edgar faded away as a thick sheet of shadow drifted between them. It was close to her now. She heard a low, impatient sound near her ear. He's waiting. Edgar cleared his throat, then quieter. And make it good. It is, she told him. I will. You better. Shut up. She raised her head to address the blackness around her. She wondered, briefly, if it had ears, and if so, what direction were they in? And then she said, If you tell me what you know, I will sing you a song. Silence. A rumbling from the shadow and a slow exhalation of breath from Edgar. He's agreed, he told her. The gods only know why, but he has the doc darkness muttered impatiently, and Edgar said, Only, he says, song first, then he'll tell you what he knows. Jean nodded. The darkness gathered in around her, expectant and almost childlike. She took a breath and began to sing. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. They'd been walking for a while now, long enough at least for Assam to run out of ideas and lapse into a sulky silence. It was strange to be under the spell of that insistent tug of someone else's will. He was a passenger in his own body, watching the scenery go by. And there was scenery beyond the pale sand under his feet. He could see low hills ahead, rising up darkly against the darker, starless sky. Slowly, the hills took on a jagged, rocky outline the closer they came. Thin forms stuck out here and there. He took them for trees, stripped bare by whatever passed for winter in this place. He watched the fox, 
the little white-tipped brush of her tail bobbing along in front of him like the swing of a hypnotist pocket watch. A dry breeze of rank air swept past them from the direction of the hills. He gagged but kept walking. Back at home, one of his chores had been to walk the garbage cans down to the curb each week. It was fairly easy to do, but during the summer there was a reeking cloud that clung to the cans. He'd learned to dread that sweet, repulsive smell. Old fruit, garbage, leftovers, spoiled meat, left to rot and ferment in the sun all week long, the swarm of the fruit flies. That was what the breeze smelled like, only heavier, sicklier. He tried breathing through his mouth, but it made things a thousand times worse when he could actually taste the air. As they drew closer to the hills, the jagged, irregular outline of them became more pronounced, obvious. He was looking at a haphazard jumble of rubbish. The smell locked it down in his mind. It was a trash dump. Choking back his cheeseburger, Assam kept walking and hoping that, somehow, his sister would know how to find him. He didn't have a lot of hope. The fox went on toward the hills. He followed. G leaned against the wall in the hallway outside the dishroom, waiting for Edgar. She tried very hard not to tremble anymore. She had done pretty well. She hadn't been scared at all, or, at least, not so scared that she couldn't keep singing, even when the darkness started singing along with her. She put her hands flat against the wall and willed them to stop shaking. The door to the dishroom opened, and Edgar stepped out, calling back over his shoulder. Yeah, I'll be sure to tell her. Thanks again for everything, Harry. The door closed behind him, and he flashed her his broken, lopsided grin. You ready? She pulled herself off the wall. Tell me what? He smirked, walking backwards up the hallway, gesturing for her to follow. He said to tell you thanks, and that you have a lovely singing voice. Oh, it's a compliment. Yeah, I got that. Edgar looked a little annoyed. I mean, I don't think he gives them out to just anyone. Uh-huh, that's great. He turned in mid-stride, showing her his back. Now where? Edgar reached the end and opened the door, walking through ahead of her. We, he said, are going to find your brother. You know where he is? I do not, Edgar said, but I think I know where he will be. What do you mean? They were walking through the diner now. It was nearly empty. The big, bull-headed waiter was leaning against the counter, nodding off. Lima, Jean noticed, was on her stool, still whispering her way through the crossword. Edgar held the front door open for her and followed her outside. His car was parked where he had left it by the curb, engine still running. They got in, heading off into the night. Finally, G asked, What did you mean you know where he's going to be? Edgar fiddled with the radio for a moment, scanning the stations. Well, he said, I think I know who he's with, so I think I know where he's going to be. Where? G asked, impatient. Who? 
Tell me something, he asked her as he turned up the radio. What do you know about foxes? You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and performed by T.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at www.tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. To receive permission, please contact the author directly by holding up a mirror beneath the full moon one night past its wane and whispering your request into the left ear of your own reflection or in the usual manner, at www.tmcamp.com. Unless otherwise noted, all contents of this production are copyright 2007. TM Camp. All rights reserved.